Hi, you're listening to the Law and Blockchain Podcast. This is your host, Amy Wan. The Law and Blockchain Podcast is part of the To the Extent That podcast series by the American Bar Association Business Law Section. The ABA Business Law Section podcasts provide general information and are not a substitute for legal advice from a licensed professional. We offer both standalone and serial podcasts on a variety of topics and welcome your feedback and suggestions at ABA Business Law at AmericanBar.org. We hope you enjoy your selection. Hi, this is your host, Amy Wan, and we are back this week with our special guest, Savon Whiteley, who is General Counsel and Corporate Secretary at Square. Savon, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. So, Savon oversees, you know, the worldwide team responsible for Square's legal, regulatory, compliance, security operations, and corporate development. Square, as I'm sure everybody knows, is a really comprehensive commerce ecosystem that helps sellers start, run, and grow their businesses. And their cash app is similarly creating an ecosystem of financial services for individuals. Square's purpose is economic empowerment. And prior to joining Square, uh, Savon was Associate General Counsel at Better Place. She was product counsel at eBay, and she holds a degree in political science from the University of California, San Diego, and a JD from Harvard Law School. So, Savan, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much, Amy. So, can you tell us, you know, start off by telling us a little bit about Square and its cash app? Sure. So you actually covered some of it in the intro, but um, Square's mission is economic empowerment. And we started back in 2009 with this little white reader that could plug into your phone to accept card payments. And today we're a company that offers these two complementary ecosystems of financial tools. One is for small businesses and one is for consumers. So on the small business side, um, as you mentioned, we offer sellers everything they need to start, run, and grow their business. And this includes everything from hardware to point of sale software to payroll, small business loans, marketing tools, and a bunch of other things. And on the consumer side, we have Cash App, which gives individual consumers a suite of tools to help them store, send, spend, and invest their money. And the goal of all of this is, is financial inclusion. We want to enable more people to participate in the economy. And we, we do this by making it easier for businesses to accept credit cards, without having to go through this arduous process that used to be required by tra the traditional financial institutions. And, uh, you know, they also used to charge, you know, crazy fees and uh, make it really hard for businesses to know how much it was costing them to take a card payment. Because when a consumer com comes in with one card, it'll cost 2% of the transaction and another card could cost 5%. So we took away all that complexity. And, on the cash app side, we're enabling more people to participate in the economy by giving them tools to move or invest their money. So that's really interesting. And, you know, Square has also incorporated Bitcoin into its business model. Can you maybe tell us a little bit about, about all that? Sure. Yeah. So we, we really wanted to lower the barrier to entry for financial tools and services. And a few years ago, as Bitcoin really started gaining popularity, uh, we saw this consumer demand for an easy and accessible way to buy and sell Bitcoin. So we built it in a cash app at the end of 2017 and launched it officially in early 2018. 
And, you know, when we look at the usage, if what we've said, you know, in our last yearly um, filing was that, you know, as of December last year, we had 24 million monthly active customers using Cash App. And in the first quarter of just this year, Cash App customers bought more than $300 million in Bitcoin. But, you know, more broadly, as our, our CEO, Jack Dorsey, he's said this many times, but we believe there's a need for a global native currency for the internet. And we believe that standard will be Bitcoin, uh, because in addition to being an open standard and the fact that it's decentralized, uh, it's already got broad brand recognition and it's been building momentum. Um, and then there's another way we've expanded our work with Bitcoin at Square. Um, and this is by launching an initiative we call Square Crypto. Um, it's a bit of an unusual step, but we dedicated resources to develop technology for the benefit of the industry rather than only our own products and services. And this is not something most companies do, certainly not most public, public companies, but um, we thought it was really important to support Bitcoin and, and everyone to benefit from it and not just Square. So the Square, the Square Crypto team is uh, fully focused on contributing to Bitcoin open source work. Their work is independent of Square's product offerings. And they're dedicated to contributing to and improving the open source initiative for the benefit of everyone. And so they work fairly independently. They're independent of our Square product roadmap. You know, we obviously don't retain any IP ownership in any of the work they do. And um, they also have a budget to do grants to help fund work being done all over the world to further Bitcoin. And, wow. you know, I, I think it's pretty cool. Like it's, it's helping benefit the entire industry and not just Square. I mean, that's not just cool. That's very generous, I would say. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, it's also kind of selfish in, in a roundabout way. It doesn't directly benefit Square, but we think, you know, if the work they do really pushes the initiative forward, we think everyone will benefit. All boats will rise. So, you know, I, I had wanted to ask you about why Square jumped into offering services around Bitcoin or virtual currencies. And it sounds like it's, you know, maybe, you know, not just a business decision. It's also a very philosophical decision. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, if, if we take a step back and think about uh, why Bitcoin is important, for our communities and our customers. Um, I think like last week we had this virtual fireside chat between our CEO, Jack Dorsey and Isaiah Jackson, who is the author of Bitcoin and Black America. And he said something really interesting, Isaiah, Isaiah Jackson. He said that, um, you know, the Bitcoin is important because we need to create an alternative to traditional financial institutions. And, you know, because traditional financial institutions have historically not treated people fairly, they've had exclusionary policies, and they've denied access to many people. And so he said people need to have a plan B, and, and Bitcoin is that plan B. So we, we want to enable anyone and everyone to have access to that plan B, and that's, you know, that's why we built it into Cash App, because it, it makes it really simple and fast for anyone to transact in Bitcoin. We didn't want people to have to download a new app or sign up for a Bitcoin wallet or remember like a 64 character private key. So we yeah. wanted it to be as simple, as simple as sending money to a friend or swiping a card on a square reader. And so it also had to be fast. We didn't want people to have to wait as long as three days 
for their Bitcoin purchases to settle. So Cash App uses an innovative architecture to allow customers to use and deposit their Bitcoins within minutes of purchasing it on our platform. Well, let's dig into the legal side of it. So, you know, Square as a fintech company already has a lot of legal compliance obligations. So did incorporating Bitcoin or virtual currency services into um, your company's business model, that, did that require a considerable amount of additional compliance considerations? Yeah, well, like, as you mentioned, already being in financial services, we sort of felt comfortable navigating complex regulations. It's, it's sort of part of our company's DNA at this point. Um, and I think it was a, a little bit less about net new compliance considerations, uh, although there were some. Like, for example, we had to get the New York Bit license. Uh, Louisiana recently signed into law new, re- new requirements for licensing and regulation of virtual currency. So we're working on that now. Um, but I, more than new requirements, I think it was more about a new application of existing or already very well understood obligations from other financial service areas to an entirely different kind of asset and technical environment. So, for example, we had to figure out how to how do you monitor against money laundering? You know, this is like clearly not a new compliance obligation, but we had to figure out how to adapt our transaction monitoring for the Bitcoin environment. So that meant using information available through the blockchain and other technological providers to determine what looks like suspicious activity. Um, but you know, there there are some new considerations, and I think they really stem primarily from the inherent Bitcoin characteristics, like, for example, the irreversible nature of the transactions and the pseudonymity of the Bitcoin network. Like, these are things you have to deal with uh, when you're from the legal side, and it, but it's also from the product side. So what we've landed on was a program of inherent controls, such as limits and other mitigation strategies that we got comfortable with. But there was a lot, a lot of discussion about the best path to a, a responsible system, given all these challenges. Right. It looks like you had to put a lot of thought into developing a, a good product. Um, you know, there's a lot of companies, especially, you know, a tradition, more traditional financial services companies um, out there, and they might be looking at, you know, adding virtual currencies or Bitcoins into the mix of their service offerings. And I'm sure their attorneys or their, their general counsels must be thinking, oh man, this, this sounds you know, like quite the headache. What would your advice be for them? Get yourself some aspirin. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I, think, <laughs> I think that you know, the area that maybe sometimes lawyers tend to overlook, but I think is one of the most important here is a focus on educating customers about the potential risks inherent in any volatile financial asset. Um, I think it should be top of mind for anyone coming into this area. And we've seen not in, not particularly in the crypto space, but in other areas where people don't have that top of mind, what can happen. And so when you're thinking about adding a feature, who are you serving and, and what's your customers need and keeping a pulse on how your customers are interacting and reacting to the asset and the experience. And that, that'll inform whether you're doing the right things. One of the things that uh, we did when we launched is we included a My First Bitcoin book. It's, it's on the app. It's not a physical book. 
but it's like an illustrative guide to explain what Bitcoin is. Um, and it's, I think you, you can't sort of overestimate what your customers understand about this. You have to really meet them where they are. But totally switching gears <laughs> because we have a legal audience. Um, I think another, another really big question facing companies working in the crypto space is like, how do you think about patents? Um, you know, any, with any popular technology, um, and we've certainly seen it here, there's this growing number of companies and patent trolls that are amassing IP and Bitcoin and the underlying blockchain technology. And, you know, we see crypto organizations and patent trolls rushing in the patent office. I think, you know, Craig Wright's Enchain has hundreds of patents. <laughs> the, the Chinese government even has over 300 blockchain um, and digital currency patents. And then you see the major banks and tech companies filing hundreds of related patents every year. So, you know, it's something you have to consider and balance the impact of crypto uh, of patents in the crypto space. Because like on the one hand, filing for an, uh, a patent in, on open source standard based currency systems seems really contrary to the goal of the project. But mm -hmm. on the other hand, you know, patents may actually be needed for defensive needs. And so I think, I think we need to still innovate around how do we use patents defensively to protect against those who are trying to use them offensively to stifle innovation. And so although it would seem the best thing to do is to avoid patents, um, I think there are some other strategies worth exploring that could include leveraging those patents in a cooperative way to protect against abusive patent litigants and find ways for patents to help growth and help mass adoption of crypto rather than than just the obstacles. That's so interesting. I, I guess I had defaulted to thinking that, you know, the big challenges would be around, you know, financial services and, and regulatory obligations. I hadn't even thought about intellectual property, but that's, that's, yeah, that's um, an interesting consideration. Um, well, let me ask you this, you know, what impact do you think adding Bitcoin services to your company's offering has done to the company? Like, do you, do you, and did you, have you ended up getting a different user base? Um, have you attracted a different type of user? Um, are you finding that, I don't know, your um, existing users are now um, getting more engaged with Bitcoin because of you guys? You know, what, what impact have you seen? I think, you know, I think the biggest impact for us in launching Bitcoin and Cash App, it was actually the learnings for us about how customers look at spending and investing. Um, we just, we learned a lot about human behavior. Um, and I think, you know, I see us using those learnings to influence the design and the experience for other offerings that we have. Like, for example, um, we launched Cash App Investing at the end of last year. And with that, with Cash App investing, our customers can buy and sell stocks and ETFs in addition to Bitcoin, um, which gives them a variety of ways to invest their money. And you know, with Cash App investing, we, we decided to launch where you could buy fractional shares of stocks. So you're not blocked from owning Amazon stock just because you don't have you know, thousands of dollars to buy just one share. You can buy a fraction of a share for as little as $1. And this was very similar to Bitcoin transactions. 
where most of us are buying less than one Bitcoin in any one transaction. Um, and another kind of learning we took, I mentioned the My First Bitcoin Illustrated Guide. We also included a My First Stock Illustrated Guide for people who are new to investing. So we sort of learned about the kind of teaching that you have to do when you launch a, a product to, to an audience that it might be their very first time doing whatever you're offering. That's fantastic. I, wouldn't, I would never have even thought about that, but that totally makes yeah. sense. Um, well, are there any future plans for Cash App that you care to mention? <laughs> well, I know that you know that I can't really talk about future plans, but uh, I will say, you know, the pace of innovation at Cash App has been incredible. Uh, you know, we had, we went from offering Cash Card, which is uh, a physical payment card that customers could use to buy things online or in person to Boost, uh, which is like an instant rewards and discounts when you shop offering, to Bitcoin, to investing, which we talked about, to uh, direct deposit. Um, recently, we launched cross-border transfers. And so I, I just, I, I've seen just in my time even at Square, and I've been there about seven years, Cash App has evolved from a peer-to-peer -peer payments app to this full suite of financial tools for individuals and you know the team is constantly experimenting and innovating so we're you know keep your eye out for new features I think you know being a lawyer at a company like that um, and for all the lawyers who are working in in crypto or some of these kind of new technologies um, it's it's a really exciting place to be a lawyer because you get to there's sort of no starting off without legal and compliance when you're, especially in financial services. And so we're tied at the hip with the product team. Um, and we get to be there when everyone's kind of brainstorming an idea all the way through to launch. Um, and I think you get that, that real partnership between legal and product when, when the products are so uh, complicated from a regulatory standpoint. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for joining us. I, I've definitely learned a lot in just the, the 20 minutes that we've talked and I, you know, I'm going to be very much looking forward to everything that you guys are going to be launching soon. Well, it's been so much fun talking to you. I feel like next time I should interview you about some <laughs> stuff that you're working on. Maybe, but I'm sure your job is way harder. <laughs> <laughs> I doubt it. All right. Well, thanks so much. Take care. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the ABA Business Law Section's podcast series, To the Extent That. The section offers a robust collection of content. To explore more about this topic or to learn about joining the section, visit anbar.org slash bizlaw. That's B-I-Z-L-A-W.